Amen. Thank you, Matt. When I heard that Matt was hosting on the morning that I was going to be here, I was a bit nervous, I'll be honest. (laughs) Anyways, greetings from Burlington. It's so good to be here with you this morning. I'm grateful to be able to share with you the life-transforming good news of Jesus Christ. May our hearts be soft and our spirits open enough to receive it. So I've got a question for you. Does anyone here have any irrational fears? Okay, we have someone over here, that's for sure. You know, I, um, I've heard of a few irrational fears. Uh, I've got some friends who are afraid of sharks. That seems odd to me. I've got friends who are afraid of driving under train bridges. <clears throat> Today is Carola's birthday, my wife. And so I thought it would be worth mentioning that Carola is afraid of driving past police officers on the highway. And for some reason, anytime I'm driving, the fear really ramps up. And I'm not sure why that is, but um, it leads to uh, a certain feeling in the vehicle almost immediately. Uh, There is tension in the air, right? And it's not like the good kind of tension. It's the bad kind of tension. And since I shared... Uh, Carola's irrational fear. My irrational fear is of mushrooms. (laughs) Yes, it's true. Um, So today is a chili cook-off. Really excited about that. Uh, It also probably means that I won't be eating a lot of the chilies because I'm not sure whether they have mushrooms in them or not. (laughs) This is true. This is what irrational fear does to us. It impacts our lives. It changes our behavior. It, um, it comes in and out of our day-to-day lives. I'm so afraid of mushrooms that if I'm invited to your house, I will be rude about it. I'll ask you, oh, is there mushrooms in this? <clears throat> and if there is, I will either not eat it or I'll pick them out. Or if I don't believe you, I will fish <laughs> through the food. I'll do this. I'll literally do this. Um, and I can tell you, that's not a great behavior when you're a guest in someone's home. <laughs> I don't recommend it. Now, I can't tell you where this irrational fear came from. It probably has something to do with some childhood trauma that um, I asked my mom if there was mushrooms in something, and she lied to me, and I discovered them, and this spurred on this fear of mushrooms that I have that's blown way out of proportion. It's transformed what mushrooms mean to me in my life. And yes, I have tried to eat mushrooms. Everybody asks me. They're so great. You know what? They're fungus. <laughs> That's right. That's a, I actually don't like to call it irrational. I think it's quite rational. Well, this is what I want to dive into this morning. And I want to use a story that Jesus told, a parable. Now, a parable is um, a way of telling a story or getting a point across that might not seem so obvious. We have parables in our day, things that you have probably heard of, the tortoise and the hare, right? The boy who cried wolf, the the scorpion and the frog. This one might be my favorite. If you don't know it, it goes, there was a scorpion who tried to cross a rushing river, but couldn't because scorpions can't swim. So he approached the frog, and he said, frog, will you um, ferry me across this river so I can get to the other side safely? 
The frog knew that scorpions were dangerous, and he probably shouldn't. But in rationalizing, the frog thought, well, if the scorpion stung me, that would be silly, because that would mean we both die in the river. So the frog said, yes, hop on my back. We'll get to the other side together. So they do that, and as they're crossing the river, midway through, suddenly the scorpion stings the frog. And the frog is slowly dying. And he says to the scorpion, why did you do that? Now we're both going to die. And the scorpion simply responds, it's in my nature. Parables have a way of flipping our presumptions on their head. And it's no different with Jesus. Jesus talked a lot in parables. He told many, many stories along with the Socratic method that he used, right? His ability to answer a question with questions. Parables were really the hallmark of his teaching styles, of his teaching style. Stories told by Jesus uh, turned people's assumptions on their heads. They flipped their religious expectations upside down. They disarmed people and they allowed Uh, people enough imagination to allow them to open themselves up to another way of thinking. This is an awesome way of getting a point across. Author Robert Capone describes parables this way, Jesus' parables specifically. Bad people are rewarded in the prodigal, the unjust steward. Good people are scolded the elder brother, the diligent workers. God's response to prayer is likened to a man getting rid of a nuisance. That might be my favorite parable in The Friend at Midnight. And in general, everybody's idea of who ought to be first or last is liberally doused with cold water. Right? We have these assumptions about who should be first, who should be last, what prayer should be like. And Jesus flips those on their heads. Now, the truth is, parables can be confusing because of those reasons. And so we ask, well, why did Jesus teach in parables? Why does he uh, share this way so often? (laughs) Well, the truth is, often parables were the only way that Jesus could get his point across. Sometimes Jesus spoke so plainly, you would think, oh, well, that's the answer. That's the answer to my burning question. Just tell me, left or right, Jesus. And we ask ourselves this question. But I love this verse, and hear this. This is in uh, Luke 18, 31 to 34. Jesus is telling his disciples, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. Okay, so that's maybe a bit confusing still. But he goes on, he says, we will be, uh, he will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, and spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. And on the third day, he will rise again. He's literally telling the Easter story. He's telling his disciples what will happen. Right? It's clear. But then here is the kicker. <laughs> The disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them, and they did not know what he was talking about. So sometimes, Jesus is so clear. He speaks out exactly what is going to happen step by step. But we're not able to understand. So he tells stories. And one of those stories is what we're going to look at this morning. 
I want to invite you, if you have your Bibles, to open to Matthew 25. We're going to be looking at the parable of the bags of gold. The parable of the bags of gold. Now, some of you might know this parable as the parable of the talents. Parable of the talents. Now, for a bit of context, Jesus is sitting with his disciples in the Mount of Olives. It's a few days before the Passover in the Last Supper with his disciples. These are some of the final words that Jesus shares with his disciples before his arrest and crucifixion. So will you, will you read with me? And if you don't have your Bibles, you can follow along on the screen, starting at verse 14. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey. So just a brief stop here. It is the kingdom of heaven. He's sharing, he's talking with his disciples about what the kingdom of heaven will be like. So again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag. So some of your translations might say talents, five talents, two talents, one talent. A talent or a bag of gold here is essentially worth 15 to 20 years worth of money for a day laborer. Like a ton of money, more money than any of these servants have ever seen before. So he is entrusting these servants with a lot of responsibility. So I'll read that again. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with the five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvested where I have not sown and gathered where I have not scattered seed? Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping 
and gnashing of teeth. So the thing I love about this parable is that it ends on a real high. (laughs) Exactly. No, the truth is, like many parables, there's a lot to them. They're a bit intense. They're a little bit confusing. And this one is no different. So there's a lot... um, of misunderstandings about this parable, things that I want to clear up first before we go any further. Sometimes uh, sometimes people think that this parable is about money, right? Now, uh, money is a central figure here. There's the talents or the bags of gold. Um, And so money might be an obvious thought. It's about increasing the amount of money they had or about working hard to earn more from God, right? The one who had was given more. Or it's about being successful in what they've been called to. The ones who increased their amount were rewarded versus the one who didn't was punished. It's not surprising in his understanding if people conclude that this is what this parable is about. But this is not, these are not the main themes of this parable. All right, let's look at the master's responses and we can see why. In verses 21 and 23, his response to the first two servants is, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Just a note there before I go on. That phrase, well done, good and faithful servant. There's something special in those words, and I think all of us long to hear these words. Well done, good and faithful servant. And I just want to encourage you this morning um, and say those words to you. Well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, well done. Let those words impact you. Right? Compare that to verse 26, to his response to the third servant. He says, you wicked, lazy servant. Right? And eventually, he takes that gold from him and gives it to the first. The master doesn't focus on the money or the amount of money or even how the money is made. That's not the purpose. He focuses on how the servants respond to the gift given to them, to the opportunity given to them. And that's the challenge for us this morning. How will we respond to the gift given to us? So often we want to know what direction we should take in life. Should we go this way or that? What is the best way forward? How do we respond to situations at work, in life, or in school? We just want Jesus to tell us the steps one by one by one. All the way along. But the truth is, sometimes we aren't able to hear those steps. Sometimes we need to walk in faith. Jesus calls us to be like the first and the second servant who were faithful. Not like the third servant who was fearful. Now, this third servant is an interesting character. It's interesting because uh, he doesn't actually do anything wrong to the listeners of that day. When a servant was entrusted with something um, 
meaningful or uh, worth a lot of money, for them to bury it was a common response. In fact, when you buried that thing or those, uh, that money, they weren't liable for it anymore. These were the acceptable standards of the day to the listeners. That's what flips this parable on its head. Right? That's the thing, that's the difference here. The assumption is, okay, it's, let's bury it, let's uh, release liability to it. But Jesus says, no, that is not the response. Right? Jesus calls us to live lives of faith, not fear. And that is what this is about. Jesus calls us to live lives of faith, not fear. So what does that mean for us today? How are we going to be faithful rather than fearful? What does that look like for us day to day? Because there's a lot of things to be fearful of. Sharks, mushrooms. It just makes sense. So what does fear do to us? Let's look at that first. What does it mean to live lives of fear? How does that impact us? Well, firstly, fear distorts reality. Fear distorts reality. We see in this parable that um, the third servant was afraid of his master. We read that. But the truth is, his master was trustworthy. His intentions were good. When he gave over those bags of gold... He didn't say, do this or else. He just says, put it to work. I entrust you with this money. And right away, um, because of the fear, the third servant thought, if I don't do this correctly, his master, my master is going to do this and this. He is a harsh man. The truth is, the servant knew of the master, but he didn't know the master. He didn't know his heart. He just saw him from a distance. And if he would have just drawn closer, if he would have just um, looked clearly, trusted him, he would have known that uh, he just wanted him to use the money for the purpose of what he said. The outcome wasn't the goal. And so fear distorts reality. Fear also abdicates responsibility. It pushes it aside. He took that bag of gold and he buried it. He said, no more. I don't want responsibility for that anymore. I'm not going to work with it. I'm not going to touch it until he's back. I don't want responsibility for it. When we are so focused on wrong versus right, on avoiding risk, and on not doing the bad thing, We often would rather choose to give up responsibility than take those risks. Jesus shows us over and over and over that he is a risk-taking Savior, that he is willing to turn presuppositions on their head, that he is willing to go outside of the box. When we focus on relationship, we become aware that we can trust him with the responsibility that he gives us. 
Fear abdicates responsibility. Fear also makes us defensive. The servant is constantly giving excuses for what he did, for why he did what he did. When we are defensive, we end up building walls and separating ourselves from the things that we should be drawing near to. He knew the rumors about his master. He knew that he was harsh, that he gathered where he did not sow. But if he would have known the heart of the person calling to him, he would have known that he did not need to be defensive, that he did not need to make excuses. We put up, lot, we put up walls in our lives with people around us when we feel attacked or misunderstood or judged. The walls go up. Perhaps the response should be drawing near to, digging into, asking the hard questions. So there are many other responses, things that fear does for us. There's no question about it. But let's look, let's jump to what does it mean to be faithful? What does it mean to live faithful lives? Well, firstly, we see in this parable, faith leads to action. Faith leads to action. As the first and second servants were given these bags of gold, right away, they act upon it. We see that in verse 16. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five more bags. We are Jesus' followers, not just Jesus' believers. That's the thing. Faith leads to action. We are people who love and believe with our actions as much as with our words. Faith produces perseverance in the midst of temptation. Faith produces perseverance in the midst of temptation. There's a passage in Hebrews. Hebrews 11, 17 to 19. By faith... Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so, in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. Faith produces perseverance. In the midst of temptation. Abraham could have said no to God. No. Isaac is my one and only son. This is the one promise to me. How could I sacrifice him? But he kept listening to God. He trusted God because he knew the heart of God. And as a result, he persevered. Perseverance mean that, means that we don't give up. We push through the hard times even if we don't understand the times that we fail, the times that we're tired. And this happens to all of us. We all need perseverance. We all struggle with this. This is one of the reasons why we come together like this and we uh, hear the stories Sunday after Sunday, why we uh, join connect groups and life groups, why we connect in relationship, why we dig in, because uh, perseverance is easier when others are encouraging us. We need others in our lives uh, to build us up, to spur us on, to help us uh, not give up. This is the, uh, the way that we live our lives of faith. 
And finally, faith gives us peace about the unknown. And I just love this. In Hebrews 11, verse 1, the author says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what, about what we do not see. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Faith gives us peace. So often our fear of the unknown is based on consequences that we assume will happen in the unknown. Right? Um, We have these fears about what we think is going to happen, what we think the consequences will be of these um, fears that we assume will happen. And when we have peace, when we have the assurance that we can trust, that we can live by um, relationship in Jesus, then we don't need to um, react to those unknowns, that we don't need to make assumptions. But it's Jesus here that reminds us faith is enough. It's not about the result. It's about trusting him and receiving his peace as a result of that understanding. So we know faith leads to action. Faith produces perseverance. Faith gives us peace about the unknown. So when we ask the question, are we going to be fearful or are we going to be faithful? I would encourage us to choose faithful. And how does this impact us then uh, day to day? What does this uh, mean for us? Um, Mother Teresa, working in India, in Calcutta, she was asked by a British journalist um, who came up to her and said, how do you uh, persevere? How do you stay motivated to help in such dire circumstances where you can um, heal, where you can give food, where you can provide places of shelter, and yet you're not even scratching the surface, where the need is so, so, so high? How can you stay motivated? How can you keep doing this day after day? And her response to that journalist was, I am not called to be successful. I am called to be faithful. And I think that is the same call for us as Jesus followers. We can get so caught up in our lives of fear about being successful, about doing the right thing. that we can forget that our lives are about being faithful, not successful. The author John in 1 John 4.18, he puts it this way, and I love this. John, uh, 1 John 4.18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. There is no fear in love. And so as we go about our days, as we think about, am I living a life of fear or am I living a life of faith? Just remember, there is no fear in love. That Jesus calls us to the way of love and that way is a way without fear. Now, um, I just want to speak to those of you, to those of us here in the room 
um, that might feel like the wicked and lazy servant. Um, Maybe you were told that you were no good. Maybe you uh, have that assumption about yourself. Maybe you feel like you've uh, screwed up so big uh, that there's no going back. Maybe you uh, live a life of fear and you feel like you can't accomplish anything. Maybe you hear the words in your head every day, uh, I am a wicked and lazy servant. Maybe they sound differently in your head. If that is you this morning, I just want to say there is no fear in love and that you are loved and that love changes us and that it's not too late to stop living a life of fear and start living a life of faith. That you are not the wicked and lazy servant, but that you are loved so deeply that you have been free from that. That our master is not harsh and cruel, uh, but he is love. And that love changes us. That love means that we can go today and we can live differently as a result of that. It can be easy, uh, being in the society and the culture that we're in, to think over and over and over that um, I'm not being successful, I'm not cool enough, I'm not going to make it. Right? These are all different ways to say that we are wicked and lazy. I should just bury what I've given, been given and walk away and not take responsibility from that. I'll just live behind the screen. I'll just pretend I'm someone not and I'll go about my day-to-day and no one will notice. I just want to tell you this morning that Jesus notices. He sees you. He knows you. And that he is love and there is no fear in love. There is no fear in his love for you. Let's pray. Jesus, your love is life-changing. Your love means that we can go from this place and live differently. I just pray this morning that we would remember that, that we would allow that to change us, that we would be reminded that living in faith means that we can trust you, that we can know you, and that there is no wall between us. I just pray that you would remind us over and over and over in a ways that we can understand, in ways that we can comprehend, that you are love and that there is no fear in love. In your name we pray. Amen.